everyone, and welcome to Gamers on the Go, a podcast dedicated solely to those games that you can take with you. I'm your host, Chase Kennecke. Today's show is on Guacamelee, and my guest is Pierce Corshane. Hi, Pierce. Hey, what's up? And it's good to have you back. It's always good to be back. I love pretty, talking about sure podcast. Pretty sure you were my last guest since, uh, or no, you weren't, because uh, you weren't uh, you weren't part of the PAX uh, podcast this time. I was not. Because you were part uh, of... PAX proper now. I know, yeah. Your now that I work for PAX, fancy I'm, I'm new too job. good to be on that podcast. Yeah, uh, but we, we uh, I know I had a good time with Matt. Uh, we talked a lot about uh, all the great stuff that was showing up in Boston, and I decided because I've had enough fun in Boston uh, all these years, and with you working at PAX and me getting to see a friend uh, every once in a while... You know, I think I'm going to make the make the trip to Seattle this year, and uh, yeah, I'm pumped for it, man. Yeah, that should think, be fun. I think that's a great choice. Yeah, uh, I've never been to Seattle. Seattle. I've only been to the West Coast a couple times, and both those times were uh, California trips. So I'm uh, I'm excited to to see a new place, and especially see what kind of PAX started as. Uh, yeah, I think you're going to like Seattle a lot, knowing your tastes. I think you're going to like the dreary weather and the <laughs> general interest in tech out there. Yes, absolutely. And I, I might just make the trip to Redmond and camp out in front of Nintendo until they give me a job. Uh, we'll I'm see. not going to recommend that, but yeah. you do you. Okay, fair enough. Uh, all right, well, let's get into into the topic of, of the day, and that is uh, Guacamelee. So I, I played this game on the Vita. Uh, that's why it qualifies as a gamer game on the go uh, for this <laughs> yep, podcast. I'm breaking that rule. <laughs> uh, you did not. I did not know. Yeah, you played, played this on, on the, the PS4. Yeah, PS4, which is the uh, the Super Turbo Championship Edition, and we'll get more into uh, the differences of those uh, much later in the show. But uh, Guacamelee, for those who want to play it uh, on on the Vita, I'd, I'd say it's really good on the Vita. Uh, but that is the standard version. It never got any of the the extras that Super Turbo Championship Edition got. Um, it's also available on the PC, Mac, and Linux. Uh, PS3, PS4, Wii U, 360, Xbox One. Uh, there are lots of places to play Guacamelee, and I would I would say that people probably should because uh, there's uh, there's some fun. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think there's some fun to be had, and from the early conversations I had with you as you uh, were playing it, it sounded like you were in agreement with that. Maybe maybe not as much now that you've uh, played the whole game. Yeah, I really kind of soured on this game the more I played it, and that's, I think this is the first time I've been on this podcast where I'm going to kind of take down a game that we're talking about, mm. um, because all the other pods I feel like we've done have just been glowing uh, reviews and a lot of complimentary things, but yeah, i got some problems with this game. Well, part part of that of just having a podcast like this, of, you, know, you, don't, you don't do a lot of podca- podcasts on games you don't like. Right. Uh, because if you don't like them, then it's probably not worthy enough to do a podcast. There, there have been a couple that I've done of games that I haven't been crazy about. But uh, uh, when I heard you were playing Guacamelee, I went, okay, let, that's that's something I remember enjoying back in 2013. Uh, it came out in April, April 9th, 2013 for the Vita, which is the only release, release date we really care about here on this show. <laughs> um, but uh, Yeah, well, it, and don't forget that this uh, was actually a Christmas present from you. You gave me fifty bucks or whatever in um, PlayStation Store credit, with the stipulation that um, some of it be earmarked for Guacamelee. Yeah, that's true. Uh, I, nothing better than conditional gifts, right? 
Yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> just like conditional love. Um, you know, they go hand in hand, yeah. which I, I think uh, our relationship experiences. Absolutely. If I remember right, it was you You had to buy guacamole and you had to buy loof trousers. And then the That's rest correct. of the money, which was like another 10 bucks or so, 10 or 15 bucks, it's like, ah, you can do whatever you want to do with that. Like, <laughs> Merry Christmas. But uh, here, here's the two things you must have. Uh, we, we have done a show on loof trousers, but uh, just real quickly, I, I know you've played that too, right? Yeah, that I actually have played on the Vita. Um, it's a fun little roguelike game. I, I, I thought the uh, the movement was going to be an issue, like the, the first couple runs I did, but mm-hmm. you and I kind of talked about this uh, when I was playing it. It's something that is almost like another language that you're learning because it is a little sluggish at first. And the fact that your uh, airplane can go in any direction, including into the ocean, and then back out of it, um, right. it's kind of hard to wrap your head around logically at first. Yep. Um, but as as I kind of got the hang of it um, more and more, I really started to enjoy it. I never did get very far in it. I've kind of put it down now, but it's something that I think I'll pick up periodically from here on. Nice. Yeah, I, I, I very much enjoy that game. Anyway, so Guacamelee, uh, developed by Drinkbox Studios. Uh, Pierce, have you played any other games from the Drinkbox Studios guys? Nope, I've been eyeing Severed for a while, but I haven't played anything else. Yeah, so their first game, uh, Drinkbox was actually started by former uh, pseudo-interactive employees. Uh, Pseudo-interactive, if you are not familiar, which I was not, uh, made Cell Damage and uh, and Full Auto, so a lot of car combat stuff. Um, Cell Damage. Yeah. Cell damage, was, cell damage was something I would always see in magazines and think, wow, that looks cool because exactly. it, it looks exactly. exactly like a Tex Avery cartoon. Or, and, and then you uh, see it in motion and you go, oh, well, maybe I'm okay. <laughs> but uh, It's something that I'll, like, I'll pick up at a used game store because I think it came out on Dreamcast. I believe um, it did. I, I know it came yeah. out on PS2 and Xbox and maybe even GameCube. But, but yeah, Dreamcast sounds like a, a solid bet for a lot of that. Yeah. One day I'll run across it at a used game store and be like, I should have this, and then never play it. Yeah, I think they were actually in the process of, of making a, a Cell Damage 2 that never came out. Um, yeah, or maybe that was something Bomber. that got like a Kickstarter or something much later. I, I can't remember. Uh, Full Auto was an Xbox uh, 360 launch game. I remember that. Uh, I did not That's play. right, yeah. Um, but, uh, they, I know they made a second full auto as well. Uh, I forgot the, the subtitle to that one, but yeah, I hadn't played many Drinkbox Studio or any Drinkbox Studio games before Guacamelee. Um, uh, they, their other titles, they had Tales from Space about a blob for the PS3, uh, which I, I didn't even know was a game. I had heard of their, their second game, which is a more or less sequel to that. It's Tales from Space Mutant Blobs Attack. Uh, and that game was a Vita launch title, which is one of the reasons I am aware of it. Uh, but it also came out to PC and PS3 and Xbox 360. And, and that got really good reviews, and I kind of feel bad that I've never tried it. I'm going Still back time. and seeing stuff. Like it's a, I, I think it's a platformer? Think yeah, so? but I know very little about it, but I know that much. Okay. And then, yeah, Severed. Severed is something I also would like to try, and, and Severed's out for, for multiple handheld systems, Vita and 3DS, and I think there's actually an iOS version, too. Um, so Severed, Severed seems cool as this uh, kind of dungeon crawler with a uh, mixed with maybe like an Infinity Blade, where you're actually swiping the screen uh, to, to like, do your attacks. 
Uh, and, and a lot of it sounds kind of cool and contextual, um, but I, I just haven't gotten around to it. I think I have it on my Vita. Uh, it was a PS Plus game at one point, so I got it then. Yeah. Uh, so someday, someday. Someday. Uh, but we're here to talk about Guacamelee, which is a 2D platformer beat-em-up. Uh, it, it would not be a stretch to call this a Metroidvania, and we'll discuss more on Metroidvanias in a bit. Uh, but you control this Hemador. Uh, Pierce, do you know what a Hemador is? Is it someone that is a agave farmer? Yeah, exactly. Hey! <laughs> so me me working in advertising specifically for some alcohol brands, specifically for some tequila brands, uh, I am I'm a little more well-versed in, in what a Hemador does and, and is. But yeah, it's, it's an agave harvester. Uh, it's kind of that first step when you're making tequila, the, the people who who actually go out and take the koa, which is that rounded blade. Uh, it's kind of like a, it's kind of like if you flattened a hoe, because uh, you, because the blade is, is just this one big flat round thing. And so that's how they cut the, the agave and, and uh, you, you get all the, the big spines off it. And then you just take the, the pinas, uh, which are kind of like big circular things. Uh, that's the fruit more or less. And then that, that's what you make tequila with. So uh, tequila facts here on Gamers on the Go. Uh, But yes, uh, you play as a hemador named Juan uh, as he tries to save El Presidente's daughter who is kidnapped by an evil Charo. Uh, Charo being a a kind of Mexican horseman. Um, But who... Charo slash mariachi. Like he's got... Yeah. Yeah. Slash like a little matador in him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's... There's a lot of some, uh, a lot of Spanish, Mexican, Latin American tropes uh, up in Guacamole, for sure. Uh, but yeah, the evil Charo, Carlos Calaca. Uh, so let's. Uh, I want to talk more about Metroidvanias in general before we get into deep into sure. uh, Guacamole, because this is a genre that I. Uh, have have not had a ton of experience in, and and the games that I have played have not wowed me in general. And I think it's a genre that you are also not very well familiar with. Am I right? Yeah, I think we, we were looking at like the Wikipedia list of Metroidvanias before this, and really the only one I've spent a significant amount of time with is Rogue Legacy, which has some other aspects to it, so that's not even like a pure Metroidvania. Right. Um but other than that, yeah, I've kind of stuck away from the genre. I, I didn't have uh, a Nintendo growing up as something that we've um, addressed before. So I never played like Metroid or Super Metroid or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I think I was always turned off by the Castlevania games uh, for a number of reasons. One being art style, um, which is really superficial. But just like when you were a kid, you're looking at screens mostly. So sure. that has to appeal to you at first. Um, and then... Yeah, I, f- I felt like I missed Symphony of the Night, and then there's a lot of trash, or at least presumed trash, that came out after that. Um, I just never never got into them. So I, I didn't play the pillars of the genre. Um, anything that I've played since then has been influenced by it significantly, or, or lightly at least. But um, yeah, I definitely do not have the experience with it, though. Yeah, I, I'm right there with you. Like Met- Metroid was, I, I did own Nintendos growing up, but I, just Metroid was something that kind of passed me by. It was it was something that I never had as a kid. It was something that uh, the kids around me didn't have or, or talk about or play. So I never had this reverence for the series. And 
the original Metroid and and the original Zelda, for that matter, th those are games that you kind of needed to play with some graph paper beside you and, and really make your maps and, and figure out what's in stuff. And it, it's all about finding these secrets. And for for something like Zelda, I, I had that uh, because I was playing it at the time. But for Metroid, which I came to much later, I think actually the first time I played the original Metroid was the, the Game Boy Classics, uh, the Game Boy Advance Classic, uh, like the Famicom yeah. games where they, they did those. Those were pretty good, weren't they? Uh, yeah, I mean they're they're very solid ports for sure, but uh, maybe a little uh, expensive, especially when sure. you think of uh, virtual console games these days and and how you know those are also probably a little overpriced, but they're way less overpriced than a full retail box copy of just Metroid on a GBA cart. Um, but yeah, playing playing Metroid on GBA was just. Why? What am I doing? Because I'm I'm old enough now where I'm not a kid just sitting in front of a TV with a piece of graph paper making maps, and I just felt lost and and wasn't enjoying it. Uh, yeah, the, the genre definitely has um, a there's a there's a difficulty that surrounds it that was never appealing to me when I was younger, and now that I'm older, I, I do enjoy um, difficult games, but Metroidvania's. Uh, always kind of seemed like a club that you either were a part of or you weren't. And if you were a part of it, you knew like the language that Metroidvanias had. And I just never could wrap my head around like secret rooms or, or these different abilities that you unlock as you go on to, and then backtracking was something that really turned me off. Yep. The whole I, I'm totally with you. And, and I also have not played like the two pillars of this quote unquote genre, I guess if, if we're, if we're using Metroidvania as a genre, uh, I, I have not played Super Metroid, which I, I hear is the best Metroid. I have it on my Wii U as a, as a virtual console title, so I could play it at this point, but I, I still just haven't. And then I also haven't played Symphony of the Night. I, I did get into some Castlevanias uh, relatively recently doing uh, for, for Gamers on the Go purposes, thinking, oh, I might do one of these games. But uh, I went back and played a lot of the, the GBA and DS ones, so... Um, like Order of Ecclesia and Dawn of Sorrow and Portrait of Ruin, and and I had I had some fun with some of those, but it's still it's still a weird genre for me. the The games I actually really do enjoy uh, from from this genre are not the classic examples. Uh, so a, a newer game like Axiom Verge, I think, is is maybe one of the better. Metroid games or Metroid style games. It, it does a lot of those things that Metroid does, but it doesn't come with the baggage, I would say, that, that you get from a Metroid. Um, and then uh, I, actually my favorite one of all time is a game called Monster Tail, which very few people seem to be aware of because it came out at the, the <laughs> so very a, end of the... name you made up. It's a fake game. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, but it came out of the... generic name and it, uh, you're going to say that's the game. <laughs> it came out at the end of the uh, the uh, the DS's life cycle, and the 3DS was coming out, and and just people didn't really care about a new DS game. And uh, man, Monster Tail is so good, and that's Tail T A L E. If you're gonna look for it on Amazon, which you absolutely should, because uh, that game is is fantastic. It, it uh, combines this pet mechanic of of you have this this little pet monster thing that's on the bottom screen that you feed or, or give him toys to play with and he powers up and, and can turn into all these different things to help you on the top screen where you're doing 
the the Metroidvania style platforming and and attacking. But it, it's uh, that game was made by uh, the same people who made Henry Hatsworth. Uh, if if people have played that that game as well, which is uh, that same style of thing where hey, it's a it's a platformer. Uh, beat em up thing on the top screen and hey here's this weird different thing on the bottom screen that you kind of have to flip back and forth with Henry Hatsworth though is a, a puzzle game on the bottom um, but both of those games are pretty cool anyway uh, the thing the thing is that we we are not super well versed in this genre and and that does uh, I think that's actually a good thing for a game so like Black Melee. Yeah. Because one of the things I, I had this article that I that I sent you, I'll put it in the show notes as well. But it was an article I just read uh, more about the way we talk about genres and how how a genre name like Metroidvania, even though it it makes a certain amount of sense, of these games all kind of feel like like a Metroid game or like a like a Castlevania game or they take inspiration from part of the issue there is that you have a genre of games that just aspire to be one or two games they they all maybe are are trying to be a little too faithful or when they're not trying to be faithful you have a fan base or a critical base that is judging them based on those two pillars. Yeah, I, I read through the article and I, and I took some notes on it because there's some things I wanted to address. Um, I I think what struck me at first is I th- he's right. There's a lot of there's a lot of things I agree with um, insofar as like why do we hold it hold these games to the standard that the first one set or or the or like the definitive one set. He he also uh, references uh, Dark Souls and how for some reason people look at Dark Souls but then they really criticize Dark Souls 2 and then eventually Dark Souls 3 as not being Dark Souls 1 and and that's even that within the same franchise like you yeah, have yeah, you, within the same franchise yeah it's not even like a Souls like like Neo or something it's within the same franchise so it made by the same people that made Dark Souls 1 mm-hmm. like why why are we so hard on that um, and what what I don't really understand is why does that why is that unique to games that's not if you look at a lot of other art forms um that sort of reverence for the the source material isn't there as much i i kept on coming back to the uh the thought about jazz and there's a a lot of ways you can look at jazz from its foundations in in new orleans and, and things like that okay so we don't hold it to the standard of new orleans jazz from the 20s or 30s whatever that's fine but let's look at the definitive pieces of the jazz genre miles davis kind of blue um when he got to the 80s he completely mixed up his own style and has like this really weird space jazz all these bizarre instruments but we still consider it jazz how come when someone takes the source material like a metroidvania and adds their own twists how come even we struggled with this at the, at the beginning of this episode how come we're like eh but it's not really a metroidvania just just like the stuff uh, Miles Davis was making in the '80s, uh, it's not really jazz. We don't do that, but we do it for games for some reason. Yeah, and I think that that speaks to a larger point of of just human nature and categorizing things, and why we have things like genre in the first place. So we can't we can't just say, "Hey, this is a game, and I'm going to play it." We have to know that this is a 
2D side scrolly beat 'em up, shoot 'em up kind of game to to be able to say, okay, let's put it in this box of these other games that are somewhat similar, and then we can package it to people who who decide they like those kinds of games. And you you almost uh, you you keep people from playing games and genres that they decide they don't like. Like if, if someone says, okay, I don't like all RTS games, they're just making this blanket statement about uh, real-time strategy games. And, you know, I'm sure there's actually a real-time strategy game out there that, that they might enjoy, but because they've, they have these labels to things uh, that it, it keeps them away, away from some of that stuff. And I, I could see, I, even, even for us, we have, we we're not big fans of Metroid. We're not big fans of Castlevania. And, whenever somebody makes a metroidvania game i think well i don't i don't really enjoy yeah either of those franchises so why would i like something that tries to be like one of those two franchises right and that's not fair because uh i actually really like guacamelee or like a lot of the stuff guacamelee is trying to do uh even if it adheres to some of the core tenets of this yeah. genre of of you know there's there's a, a large world that has a lot of sealed doors to it and those doors uh can be broken through or opened by gaining new powers in the in the levels or in the the one world rather there aren't really levels it's more of this i wouldn't call it an open world but it is a it is a world that aspects of it yeah yeah that has that has i mean you can kind of go wherever you want you're only blocked by the things that are trying to block you that you need to to find the the new powers to do like yeah one of the one of the first powers you get is the sky uppercut or i think it's called the sky uppercut um and and you get once you get that now you can do this kind of sure you can move dragon punch thing to uh to get higher or have like a, a second jump uh, for your character that can also get you a little bit higher and can also break these red blocks in the world of Guacamelee uh, to, to get you into new areas. And and that's just a core tenet of Metroid stuff of, hey, you found yeah. a new power, let's see where this new power can can take me in the world. And I think a lot of my problems with the game have nothing to do with the Metroidvania aspects of it. I think it's decisions made by the, um, the developers and... And I can say that um, without doubt because I don't have any – I'm not holding it to any standards of, of Metroidvanias. I'm not comparing it to, to Castlevania or Metroid. So I know this – I'm just judging this game in a singular way. And I'm looking – after I played the game, I looked back and be like, okay, what aspects here are Metroidvanias? You and I had this conversation. Mm-hmm. And all the things that fit into that box I actually really enjoy. So I think – if Guacamelee has done anything for me, it's opened a door to this genre, and and now I will be kind of experimenting a lot more within it. You you've gotten your own Metroid style power up, and now you can open up to oh new, my god, <laughs> new spaces meta. in the genre. Yeah, all right, Pierce, I like own. it. I like it. Now you dragon uppercut or whatever it's called. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, so let's let's talk more specifically about Guacamelee. Um, you're going to help me with a lot of the story stuff. So the last time I played Guacamelee all the way through was in 2013 when it came out. But I did, um, knowing that this podcast was coming up, other than just doing the, the general research myself, I also played uh, replayed the first hour and a half just to kind of get a feeling of the controls again. And 
just the little bit I played, I remembered, man, this game is actually kind of short. Yeah, it took me seven hours, maybe. So and yeah, I, I dicked around a little bit. Yeah, and, and I played through the first uh, the first dungeon just in the the first hour and a half, and I thought, wow, this is this is actually kind of snappy. And, and looking up how much there was left, I was like, wow, there actually isn't a whole hell of a lot left. I think there's really three main temple dungeons in in now. The game. You're playing the standard edition. That's true. I, I am playing that, yeah. and, and Super Turbo Championship adds adds a lot of extra stuff in it. But um, again, let, let's let's keep that for for the end of the podcast. I want to talk more about just Guacamelee in general. Uh, so it has it has those platforming uh, mechanics that I would say are are similar to Metroid and, and Castlevania, and, and here I am just already. <laughs> doing the one thing we we said we hated <laughs> of people <laughs> comparing things to to the two general franchises but it it's a platformer you're you're jumping around you're you're finding new areas uh the the big unique thing i would say is the combat in this game uh, yeah not... the combat the combat's really cool um it's something i i really the f- the first impression of this game is really positive and a lot of that is based on the movement the the jumps are are fun it's just it's fun to move around that environment and then once you throw in the combat the combat's very fluid and it's it's just simple enough and then they also add like the combo thing in the corner so it feels like you're you're playing a much more complex game than you really are um and they're also pretty forgiving about what constitutes a a combo like you dodging opponents adds to your combo and and there's some time in between your attacks that you can kind of add to your combo. So, yeah, the the um, I don't know how else you want to describe the combat, but it's something I was really impressed with. Yeah, absolutely. It, it has aspects of fighting games where you're talking about that combo meter and and juggles and things like that. But it feels uh, a little bit more like a like a standard 2D beat 'em up, like a Double Dragon or like a like a Streets of Rage, where uh, you're you're kind. It's it's a lot about balancing, uh, not so much balancing, but uh, just oh, I'm missing the word. But you're you're trying to uh, manage a bunch of enemies all at once, and and figuring out how to do that kind of crowd control of okay, I can punch these guys and and get them in a state where they're knocked down, and that lets me dodge over to these other enemies that are about to to uh, use an attack. And I can also kind of keep them in a stunned position. And now you try to keep everybody in, in some kind of stun lock. Uh, and and because this game deals with uh, this Hemador turned Luchador, uh, there's a lot of wrestling stuff in there. There are, there are grapples, there are suplexes and pile drivers. There are these throws. And, and the throws are one of the most helpful helpful moves in there because throwing an enemy into other enemies knocks them all down and, and gives you uh, a little bit of respite to, to, you know, either attack other things or get your next attack ready for, for that bigger group. That's right. And I think when you, so when you are throwing someone, when you're in the active motion of throwing someone, I think you're, can you be hit? Cause I'm trying to think back. Like I think you, you hold can. down the button. Yeah. You, so you hold down the direction you want to throw in and yeah. it does have a little meter that has to like fill up, the the meter of this arrow uh and and only then do you throw so i think there might actually be a, a little 
time in there where you're vulnerable and can be hit. Okay, because it felt like I was never interrupted on any of my throws. So I could, like, if I fucked up a dodge, I could get ready to throw someone and then I'd be safe for a second or two. And you, I could, you might be invulnerable. Again, like, only that hour and a half I played, I, I didn't experience getting an interrupt, but I could, I guess I could see that happening. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, okay, go on. So it has all of those things, and then and then you mentioned that dodge mechanic, which uh, the dodge I think is is awesome in this game, not just for combat, but they really use utilize the dodge uh, in the platforming as well. That that I found really fun, especially in the the later stages of the game where you uh, there are a lot of challenging platforming sequences that require you to do these combinations of of abilities and and button presses to to really just even get around and yeah some of that stuff was my favorite stuff like the combat felt more like a like a test of all the stuff you've learned and the way you learn it is by just navigating the world yeah well you're you're talking about comparing combat to to fighting games earlier and i think the the fighting game aspect is even more prevalent in the platforming section because you start moving up uh, environments and as you move through environments you need to do a different move each time which requires a different button press sequence um, and so that's when I felt like I was like you're not doing quarter turns and, and things like that but it's like okay I need to like the joystick has to go this way and I have to press this button in order to do this move and I have to immediately follow that with this other move and uh, yeah the platforming sections were some of my favorite parts of this game yeah I mean you, you have wall jumps that you then dodge to get through a, a patch of, of thorns uh, that is that is impeding your progress, and then to keep, you dodge through that, and now you wall jump from the wall on the other side, and now you have to use your uppercut to to get onto this very small platform, and just those those combinations of things that require some execution is is just insanely helpful to get your reflexes down and to understand how how to pull off combinations like that. So when you do get to the combat, you can, you can hopefully pull those things off with, yeah. with little effort. Uh, but how does it, how ahead. does that control on the Vita? Because playing on the PS4, having the full size controller in front of me, it made, it was definitely a friend of mine. Yeah. But what I, about you? It was honestly never a problem on the Vita. I, I think the, okay. the controls of that game translate really well onto that system. Uh, and part of it is that it was it was built for that system uh, on on the first in the first place. So a lot of that stuff just easily works. And because that the Vita is is pretty damn close to a to a DualShock Four, in other than having two extra, uh, other than missing the the two extra shoulder buttons, and yeah. uh, and that isn't really a problem for for the control scheme of Guacamelee. So yeah, that wasn't an issue at all. Uh, cool, but. Um, and then we haven't even talked about the the extra mechanic that that Guacamelee throws in that that gives that throws a whole wrench into both the combat and the platforming, and that is switching between these dark and light worlds. Yeah. The, so, in addition to the uh, the chicken ability, <laughs> yeah. um, of there's a you can switch into a chicken which makes you smaller and you can go through tighter holes, um, which is sounds very sexual and I did not mean it that way. Um, but yeah, so you get the, the chicken ability and then you get this, this lighter dark mechanic where, uh, you're basically switching between two, um, layers of the level. Like you say, it's, some of it is, um, 
walls that are invisible in one in the light world are are visible and grappable grappable grabable grabable <laughs> in the dark world uh some of it is also like um uh, in obstacles like there is something that when you're in some levels there's like waterfalls and when you switch between the worlds they become lava so they're safe and then they're very dangerous um <laughs> So I, yeah, I, I, the the light and dark world mechanic um, is kind of around the same time as when this game started to lose me, um, because it is an ability, but it's not a movement ability. It, you you are manipulating something that is outside of your character, um, right? So to so to contend with all of the shit they've thrown at you of what your character can do, the uppercuts, the dodges, like all that kind of stuff. And then also you throw in this other aspect of like, okay, now you also have to make the world constrict to to this character. That that was almost just like too much for me. Hmm. I I think I like it more in the platforming than I do in the combat. But I I'm with you uh, to a certain degree. I, I like the way that they they speak to it in a story sense of one one gets killed <laughs> pretty much immediately in the story. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and and that's why in this kind of netherworld area he finds this mask that lets him be this luchador uh, instead of just the the everyday hemador who's also still ripped for some reason um but yeah that now he can navigate between the light and dark worlds because he has this mask and and he's he's now this this luchador character but uh i there there is something about having these little portals in the world that that's the only way to switch between the light and dark. And and I know it makes sense from a design standpoint in that having you be able to switch worlds back and forth might might make things a little too difficult or might uh, require somebody to deduce uh, how to proceed rather than seeing, oh, hey, there's this portal here, so obviously I know that I'm going to be switching between worlds uh, at this point in, at this point of the game. Uh, it's something that I compare uh, a little unfavorably. Now, again, this game came out four years before uh, this, the game I'm about to talk about, uh, but it reminds me a lot of Titanfall 2, uh, where there are specific, there's a one specific part of Titanfall 2 where in the campaign you get this time machine device, and it's something that actually the character it is in control of. So you switch between time periods uh, at, at a press of a button. So there's, it, it is very similar to Guacamelee in that I will be wall running on one wall and then jump and then change time to make the wall that would happen, that would be there in the past appear so I can continue my wall run. And Guacamelee has similar things, except you're not in control of the time swap or the, the world swap in this case. Um, but it has, like, like you mentioned, it has those aspects of maybe something broken in the, the, the present or the, the, the world of the living is, uh, totally fine in the world of the dead. Uh, it, it, that's, that's how the first dungeon actually acts where, where you have to open up the, the, um, like the whole thing's collapsed at the at the front door, and when you go into the world of the dead, now that temple is open, and that's the only way to get inside in the first place. Yeah. So I, I like some of those aspects, but yeah, in the combat, 
the way it manifests itself there is that you'll have enemies that are white or black, uh, depending on which world you're in. So if you're in the, the world of the dead, the enemies, there, there will be some enemies that only show up in the world of the living and they'll be just these white silhouettes and you can't hit them. Well, they can hit you. They can hit, hit you, them. which is yeah. real, real cheap bullshit, <laughs> but yep. you can't hit them. Uh, so you need to switch to the light world or find the portal to switch to the, to the world of the, the living. So you can attack those guys as well. And then vice versa. There are, uh, dead world enemies that would be black in the, in the world of the living that you have to, that, that have that same thing. So it's, it's even more crowd control, crowd management stuff of switching to the, the living world to knock these guys down, to then go back into the dark world to attack these other guys. And, and some of that can be, can be really fun. Uh, but it also really ramps up the difficulty when you have uh, these two different enemy types that like, like you said, not having the control be on the character or for the player and having to actually go to a physical space uh, in the in the area to switch between worlds uh, makes for makes for a really challenging combat experience. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I'm I'm rearing to go to talk about my problems with this game. <laughs> okay, all right. Well, let's let's jump into that then. I, I would like to hear hear what your issues are because I imagine I. Uh, and probably bothered by a few of the same things, but uh, yeah. there's, there's some stuff I imagine I, I'd like to defend. So, so go ahead, yeah. do your worst. Um, yeah, I, th- I think as I mentioned earlier, that this game does give a really good first impression, and um, a lot of that has to do with these gorgeous environments or gorgeous art style, at least. Um, very like Mayan inspired. Yeah, they're, they're vibrant. I mean, it's it's very it's very reverent. I would say of, of yeah. Mexican culture, there's there's definitely some Aztec and Mayan architecture and art that's in there. the The art style is is very colorful and, and uses colors that you you see in uh, Mexican tradition. A lot of uh, pinks and aquas and and uh, these these nice deep blues that uh, just you you they, they remind you of colors that would be on a pinata and and then hey there are also pinatas in the game which uh, i think i think that's going to dip into some of your issues with it but but continue on yeah um so even outside of the cultural appropriation that i think this game uh does uh as the game wears on i think as i mentioned earlier by, by switching between the light and dark or, or living and dead worlds um there reaches a point where there's just too many abilities to contend with um, while you're also doing this crowd control aspect in each um, each area. So there are uh, some we didn't mention earlier as you, as you progress. Yes, there are, there's like there's fighting and then there's platforming, but there's also like these uh, arenas that just crop up randomly. Yeah. seems like in the level. So you, you walk into a zone that, kind of looks suspiciously open and there's like platforms uh, above you and stuff like that. So it kind of looks like a, almost like a Super Smash Bros. Exactly. Anytime, I was thinking the same thing. Anytime yep. you get to something that has three, oh, it's starting to hail outside. That's going to come in great on the audio over here. <laughs> uh, apologies for, for hail. <laughs> can't, I can't control the weather, guys. Um, but yeah, anytime you get to a, an area that is like, oh, hey, there's... 
It looks like uh, it looks like a Smash Brothers area. Hey, guess what? That's going to be a combat arena. Yeah, and, and so they'll lock you in there. Though, yeah, the walls are going to come down like a Devil May Cry uh, yeah. stage, and and now hey, you got to clear these guys out before you you get a chance to uh, continue on. And, and that, at first, that was kind of kind of fun. It kind of broke up the game a little bit, but as you progress, I feel like they don't. Um, they kind of ran out of ideas of what to do with that space, and so how they solve that problem is they just throw more enemies at the screen. And then now they put them in two different layers in the, the living and the dead where there is that logical inconsistency where you can't hit them, but they can still hit you even though the one also exists in the living and the dead worlds. Like it's, it makes sense for the enemies. They're, they're beings of both worlds, but so are you now. So like, why can't you hit, why can't I hit these guys? Um, and, and some of those, I think the hardest parts of the game are not the boss fights, are not the difficult platforming sections. I think it's these arenas, and they're hard for all of the wrong reasons. They're, they, they will artificially like pump up the difficulty by throwing in all these enemies, and then it, in some of them, they, they make you use the platforming um, or make you use uh, specific abilities. So as the game progresses, they're um, enemies are get shields at uh, a certain point for no reason that I really remember, no good reason narratively. And the shields must be broken by using a specific move on them. So what you've done is at the beginning, I felt like there was a lot of creativity in the movement. There was a lot of creativity in the combat. And now you've kind of pigeonholed me into this, like oh, you have to break the shield by using this, using the uppercut or using the, the body slam. And then you can kind of fight them. Meanwhile, like you were saying earlier, all this crowd control, people are hitting you. So you're just trying to get one hit on this guy, just like break a shield, and then you can start punching on him. And you keep on getting interrupted by um, by like ranged attacks or just by enemies that are a lot faster than you. Um, and there's this like stop-start mechanic where I I was just I was either dying or I, it was just taking way too long. Um, to beat these guys. They, the enemies also, they get a teleportation ability at some point. Um, so not only do they have shields, but they're teleporting around the map. Um, and the, the enemies are pretty smart. Just like in, um, like almost like a, in Super Smash Bros, some of the, the big guys will like back themselves into a corner and wait for you to come at you. Yeah, some of them are um, level nines instead of just level threes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so like they have this big ass hammer there's this one specific enemy that has this big hammer that where he he smashes down, so he has a an arc that goes above him that's a hitbox, and then when he slams down on the ground, there's almost like a little AOE effect. And there's this one specific arena where there's two ranged guys in the in the corners, and they're firing their bones at you. Whenever you go and try to fight them, they teleport away. And then in the middle, there's this big ass hammer dude, and he'll just bring down that hammer, not even on you, but just near you, and can clip you and interrupt everything and then as you're getting up like bones are flying at you and it it took me it took me longer to beat that arena than anything else in the game and it goes back to my point of like it, it is it, it's not a difficult game it's a cheap game and it's cheap in terms of like well it's unfair that they got me but also cheap in like there's not a lot of thought in those arenas there's not a lot of thought in in the challenge that you're trying to put onto the player it's just like well here's here's some guys that can hit you really fast and there's a lot of them and good luck 
see, I, I push back on that a little bit because I, I think that this game would be really boring if if the enemies didn't get better in some way. And I think those shields add to the puzzle element of crowd control where, okay, now now I know not just that I need to take on all these enemies at once, but I need to focus on this enemy first. And some of the puzzle aspect is how do I even get to that enemy or where do I find my opening to to use this move? And then it's also a little bit of inventory management in that you have a stamina meter where you can only use your special moves, your your headbutt, your body slam, your uppercut. Uh, you can only use those so many times before you need to wait and let them recharge. And and I find some of that more interesting or it keeps you in, more engaged in the combat aspects of it because you you're not just using the same throw move that you were able to do at the very beginning to, to just kind of cheaply knock everything down. Like it, there is, there is some extra challenge to it in that way. Now I think teleporting enemies, especially in a game like this, where I think they already add enough things to make the combat interesting. I don't think you need teleporting enemies because that does feel kind of cheap. Yeah. Um, especially enemies that are ranged. So they'll, they'll just teleport to a new area and then keep uh, hitting you with projectile attacks, which is kind of shitty. Um, yeah, and to, to, before we get too far away from that that point about the different shields, I, I totally agree with you in that it does it, there there's a puzzle aspect to the combat. But where it loses me a little bit is when the same type of enemy has... They each have a different shield, and then they, like, I don't know how, if it's just coded in this way, but then they start pacing the the arena at the same pace so that they're actually overlapping. And so by attacking one, um, you, like, you, you, you open yourself up to, like, a guy that's, like, very, very close to him, so they kind of guard each other. Right. And you're going to take a hit either way. Mm-hmm. And I, I think this, this is something that I, I hate doing this, but I'm going to do it. But I'm comparing it to Dark Souls. Yeah, there, there is a chance if you play Dark Souls the right way that you can go through that game with without being hit ever. You can take zero damage if you are that good. And I don't think that's possible in Guacamelee. I think there are too many, um, too many combat scenarios where you you have to take a hit in order to deliver a hit. Um, and maybe I'm just impatient. Maybe I'm, I haven't waited for those openings and the gaps, but I just felt like it was always like two steps forward, one steps back, one step back. Yeah. Where... I, I imagine that you, I imagine that somebody out there can play guacamole without taking a hit, but for, for normal humans like you and myself, um, yeah, it's, it's a little, I mean, the same goes for dark souls where I'm, I'm going to be taking hits in dark souls for sure. And even you, who likes and enjoys that series, is is probably not uh, masterfully proficient enough not to take a single hit the whole time you're playing. But uh, I think I think it's more that Guacamelee feels like it should should be able to to master it easier than than a Dark Souls game. That it has it has this really generous dodge roll, and it has these moves that feel very mechanical in that they're color based. The, 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 uh, the uppercut is red, the, the headbutt is yellow and it, it almost feels, it kind of feels more like a fighting game in the sense of timing 
of you need to hit your timing at this exact point uh, rather than being more of a, a fluid thing where I, I think of games uh, like Devil May Cry or a Nier Automata uh, where it, that, that game's more about just being in the flow, whereas uh, playing through a game like Guacamelee or I guess maybe even Dark Souls, it feels like there's there's maybe more of a, a rigid system in here of I need to dodge it exactly this time to, to make things work. Yeah, and that's maybe. not that's not a perfect example because there are also times in, in Nier or, or uh, uh, Dove May Cry that you absolutely need to block at this time or, or need to dodge at this time to, to make the to parry the enemy or to, to open up your witch time equivalent or something if you're playing Bayonetta. Um, so it's not a, it's not a perfect analogy, but I, I think it, it feels a little bit more like I should, should be able to get to a point in Guacamelee where I don't take any damage at all. I, I think another thing that is frustrating to me, um, is the, is the abilities and that you have a stamina bar but it's a stamina bar with a lot of contingencies. It you, so you, you basically get um, blocks of stamina, and each move costs one of those blocks. And you, as you progress in the game, you obviously get more. I think I had like eight or something um, toward the end. But you can't use the same move twice um, in succession, so you can't. You can't do like the, the uppercut twice. Yeah, it doesn't um, let you spam moves yeah, like that. It doesn't let you spam moves. And I understand why they have done that when it comes to like platforming and mm-hmm. I, I guess only the platforming because you if you let people spam moves, you, you kind of let them break the puzzles as they are um, platforming up, up right. a level. Right, like if you have eight blocks, then you could get eight uppercuts, which would allow you to get to much higher areas than they're right. than they're intending you to exactly. I get that, but I almost wish there was something that they did differently because there were many times where I'm like so it resets when you like when your feet hit the ground sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were some puzzles uh, later on and some combat also, but more so puzzles where I was like I was moving about this level. I hadn't there were no platforms around that I could touch down and reset my abilities. I had plenty of stamina left, but I had made like a a wrong sort of jump early on in that platforming section and needed to use my uppercut to get up to the platform. And then I basically didn't realize that the puzzle required me to use that farther up on the platforming sequence. I, do you know what I mean? I know what you mean, but I, I like that aspect. I like that you can't just brute force through their systems that you actually have to, to play the game as intended. That uh, if you have eight blocks, like you mentioned, eight blocks of the stamina, you can't just go grind out another block of stamina to, to get that ninth one that would be that extra uppercut you need. You need to, you need to actually show your work and, and do do the uh, do the things as they're as they're looking for you to do them. It's more about execution than it is about uh, getting enough power to just kind of get through it, no matter what. I, I, I'm not. I I don't want to like brute force my way through, but I want there to be a little more give and a little more like uniqueness to each run, and where it's just like, well, you have to do it this way in our our way every single time. Um, and so, like I. I understand it, but I don't like it because 
there were many times where I was like, I'm like, I'm playing by your rules. Uh, like I accidentally double jumped left when I should have double jumped right. So I used my, my, one of my abilities to get back to where I was, but, oh no, I'm fucked because I use that ability. I need that later on in this level. So I got to go all the way back to the beginning. Yeah. I I think what bugs me more is trial and error is the, is it's a similar aspect to what you're talking about. It's related anyway, but, um, when you're in the platforming sections, your health doesn't really matter uh, because when you fall into a pit or you fall into lava or something like that, I don't think you actually take damage, do you? Uh, I think if you fall into lava, you'll okay. you automatically die. But if you fall into a pit, you do not take damage. Right. So it just kind of magically sets you back up at the last platform you you yeah, stood which on, is great. which is which is awesome. But it makes the platforming it makes the platforming more of a puzzle than it than it is um, like a combat arena. But when you get into the combat arenas, health absolutely matters. And now you can only take so many hits. And it's a a weird aspect of that game where getting to an area, I never feel like I have to worry about health. So I would never spend money on the health power-ups. Because what do I need health for? I need to have more powers to traverse the world. And then, or have more stamina so I can do more things. And now I get into a combat arena and, oh God, I wish I'd gotten more health uh, because yeah. now, I'm, now I'm taking hits and I, I had not prioritized health before. Uh, now well, part, part of that is, is, um, is kind of taken care of because if you're going through the game in a slightly thorough way or a relatively thorough way, you're going to find the treasure chest things that have the... Zelda style pieces of heart, uh, the corazones, if you will, uh, for this game. Uh, and that's not me making a Mexican joke. That is, that is literally what they call their heart system. Um, but when you get the three pieces of heart, now you, now you get an extra little bit to your, to your health bar. So you, you will just find those out in the world. Uh, but even still you, it was something that I didn't prioritize because I didn't think I needed to prioritize it. And then you get to a combat arena where it's too late to to go back and, and get hearts or get health. And now you're just kind of stuck making sure, dealing with what you got. Yeah. I, I, listening to you talk, I'm realizing more and more that my biggest issues with this game are those combat arenas. I don't So there's a, there's a number of currency systems uh, in here, one of which like you collect gold from enemies and from chests. And then you can spend that gold on uh, like upgrades, uh, some more hearts for you, and like just like passive abilities. Um, yeah, or even also, act- or even active abilities that don't that aren't like the uppercut. Like there's there is a pile driver in this game that will do more damage to an enemy, but it doesn't. It's it's more or less just a throw down, but it's a throw down with some extra oomph to it. Yeah. Uh, that nobody needs that. You don't you don't need that in the game to to keep going, but I it can make those combat arenas a little easier or it can just make it more fun for you as a player to go, okay, well instead of just throwing this enemy, I'm gonna do the pile driver to this enemy. Yeah. That is in addition to that, there's silver pieces, um which let you uh buy different skins, but these different skins have different abilities. So I uh, was looking through the trophies at the beginning, uh, like everyone does, and noticed that like if you beat the final boss, 
with this specific skin, you get a trophy. So I was like, oh, okay, like I'll save up for this one. It's 40 silver. It took me a while. It took me like half the game. And then I bought it. It's the Diablo suit, which has less health, but then you, you steal health from other people by hitting them. So I just put that on because like, I'm just going to work toward the, um, that trophy. And this was back when I was very fond of the game. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then as I progressed, I get into these difficult arenas and I don't know how anyone beats that game, beats this game <laughs> without the Diablo suit, where you're not constantly getting health back. Like, are you? I didn't play any other way. So, like, do you, do they drop more health orbs or something like that? Like, what's what's going on? How did you beat the game? Did you do it on, with the Diablo suit, or did you well, just use the standard skin? Here's the thing: I I think because you played Super Turbo Championship Edition, you got a very different experience than I did. Um, okay. Because I don't think there's that silver currency even in the original guacamole oh oh really so there are there are skins but when you can go to those when i go to those skins in the um at the store at the those those kind of dark souls style bonfire things that don't save the game or anything but that's just where you can get new abilities uh, and they're strewn across the world um you whenever i click on one of those or, or hit hit the button on one of those it takes me to a store page for PSN and says, "Hey, if you want this skin, it's like a buck ninety nine." Yeah. Uh, okay. So we'll, we'll do they, wait. Do they still have the abilities? Like, I, I don't know. I, I didn't. I didn't spend money on it. Um, it wasn't something. They, that oh, I they don't even about. tell you. Uh, I it, maybe it does. I no. <laughs> it was something I never never really thought about in, the first time, or maybe they even weren't there uh, gotcha. when I played the game originally. And playing through for this hour and a half, I just saw that those skins were there. And I went, oh, that's kind of cool. And I tried to click on the chicken suit one, and it went took me directly to uh, PSN. I'm like, ah, I don't know if I need to spend yeah. any money on this. Now, that's that's the Vita version. Uh, there, the PC version, uh, PC Mac Linux version, is called the Gold Edition. And that has all of those DLC costumes uh, added from the very beginning. So I think that's where it brings in maybe that silver... Uh, silver currency, or or maybe they're just unlocked uh, from the very beginning. And Gold yeah. Edition also adds Steam Workshop support, so people could make their own skins, uh, which sounds kind of cool. Uh, but Super Turbo Championship Edition uh, is is the one that adds in that that dual currency system. Uh, and yeah, there's I had no idea. That's interesting. Okay. Yeah, and and also part of it is that that game got a, a big rebalance. Uh, with the the Super Turbo Edition, that uh, they that Drinkbox went back in and looked at all the enemy encounters and changed some up, added new or didn't. I don't know if they added new enemies, but they uh, they would bring in different enemy combinations for combat arenas or or boss fights or things like that. That uh, so you it might have been balanced to be a little more difficult for for your version than from my version. Yeah, maybe. I'm not sure. So I didn't have... I, I don't remember having that issue in the combat arenas of, wow, I really need something that kind of vampires off enemies because I there's no way of, of getting enough health in this. So, so I, I'm not 100% sure is, is my answer to that. Okay. <laughs> uh, I would I would also just uh, use a phrase that you've told me before when I was complaining about Dark Souls, and I would just say, oh, get good, scrubs. <laughs> I say that phrase ironically. I know you do. I think you, I think you say it genuinely here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Yes, I, I'm doing it more mockingly, I would say, than uh, than genuinely. <laughs> Moving on. Yes. Uh, I think we've, we've talked about the um, the mechanical aspects of the game a lot. Uh, do you mind if we talk a little bit about the cultural appropriation aspects? Yeah, let, let's do talk about this because it's something it's something I I definitely notice. Um, and and looking, uh, there's a staff photo uh, from 2012, the year before Guacamelee came out of Drinkbox, uh, that's on their Wikipedia page. And you kind of look, and I'm no uh, expert on nationalities, but none of those people really look Mexican to me. Uh, yeah, so which I, is okay. Like you can it, be a straight white guy from Nebraska, and you can make a game about you know South African apartheid as long as it's done well. Sure, and and I think in most cases, Guacamele is very referen- reverential to yes. to its source material. Uh, that that they the the agave field that you start in in the the beginning of the game is is something that kind of feels like Mexico, but it's not uh it's not something I see a ton. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I see it a ton because of tequila stuff that I work on, but um, <laughs> it's not it's not one of those initially Mexican things that that I would think of. Whereas something like pinatas absolutely are. Uh, yeah. But um, I don't know. They they do they do an okay okay job. There, I mean, there's there is you know it, it has the agave fields and the luchadors and mariachi and pinatas and and heavy Catholicism and and uh, you know pe- people worrying about the church and that Maz- yeah. that Aztec and Mayan architecture kind of stuff. But I, I think a lot of it is done really well within the environments and within the art and. I think maybe where it does start to uh, maybe have a couple missteps is in the writing. Yeah, I would say so. Um, I, I th- they use a lot of Spanglish in this game, mm-hmm. and I think it's very like entry level high school Spanish Spanglish. Um, I think I think what you're saying also there's nothing insidious about what they're doing here, right? Certainly not. Um, but the the writing and like the offhanded like um I'm trying to think of like a diplomatic way to say this because <laughs> I'm not I'm not someone that's like overly sensitive about this kind of stuff and I, and I really tried to give this game the benefit of the doubt but the fact that um there's a lot of like Mexican um, references in the pinatas or the luchadors something like that but then there's a lot of um, Mayan and Aztecan um, architecture, and like those are, to me, those are different things. Those those are different groups of people. They're, yeah, they're different um, parts of Mexico. One's yeah. more central, and one's more southeast. And like, yeah, just, and so to, to mash those overlap. two together, I feel like are is a little um, little ham fisted. And then, kind of what we were saying earlier, like the the main boss, he's like sort of a, a mariachi, and he's sort of a matador. And there's also like this Dia de los Muertos thing that's prevalent throughout. And I just, at a certain point, it kind of feels like cultural tourism. And yeah. like, it's like, well, you, you guys, you guys know all about this. You like, you know, pinatas, you know, um, agave, I, I know all the words. Know, like <laughs> these, these big temples in the Yucatan, like, okay, we got them all. Yeah. Like you can see it all here. And it does, there's nothing really 
authentic or like really thought out about it. It's just kind of like picking the, the, what you deem as like the most recognizable aspects of a culture and putting them in there. Yeah. I, I'm with you to a certain extent. I was thinking specifically about the characters. If, uh, of, you know, I, I get, Hey, if you're in Mexico, you're going to see Mexican stuff. So a lot of the, the, um, like the, the agave fields stuff didn't, didn't bug me. Cause that's, you know, that is kind of what Mexico is. Even some of the architecture stuff. All right. You, you wanted to combine some elements of Aztec and Mayan stuff. So yeah, that's not great to combine those things, but I, those are things that you would see in, in that area. But when it comes to characters, I think characters, uh, people are more sensitive to it or I'm more sensitive to it, I guess. Um, if, if the characters feel like stereotypes or if they feel like they have true human motivations. And, and I forgot the name of the, the woman who is Kalaka, uh, Caracas, 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 girlfriend. Yeah. Um, and she, she's one that I feel is, is actually really authentic that, yeah, she, she wears this white dress and she feels very much like a girl that you would see in a painting about Mexico. Uh, but she does, she does have some motivations and, and cares about, uh, Kalaka in a way that, uh, she, she tells you, and she, I don't know. I think she evokes more of a, a human character than, than somebody like Flameface does. Who's just, yeah. you know, I'm a, just I'm a six, <laughs> six shooter tequila drinking, my head is yeah. made of fire and yeah. yeehaws kind of shit. Like, uh, well, okay. Yeah, I guess so. Like he's, he's got a really cool character design. I'll give him that. But he, he also feels maybe the most like a stereotype where she has, uh, she feels more like a, a person. She was in charge of taking care of a pet. Now that pet was also some giant demon beast thing that is super cool. I think that's probably the coolest thing in Guacamelee in general is, is, uh, I think his name is Ali Habra or Ali, Ali Brihe. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that, that thing is, is really cool. And, and I'll, I'll get more into him in a, in a second here, but, uh, I thought most of the characters were relatively well-written. I think my, my, uh, the reason why I didn't touch too much on what I thought was culturally appropriate or stereotypical about the characters is that I think the story is really kind of bad. Yeah. It's a Save the Princess story, um, and I think the the faults of of the writing are um, are a lot of faults, and just like are, are faults that are prevalent in video games in general. Um, like you, Juan is the the silent protagonist sort of thing, and mm-hmm. and the the bad guy is very clearly the bad guy. Like there's no death to his character at all. Mm-hmm. He wants to rule the living and the dead and he wants to be the most powerful guy. He wants to be a god or whatever. Okay, sure. Um, so it, to me, the, the cultural appropriation thing was really just like, I guess one thing is that the, the char- there's nothing inherently Mexican about the characters. There's nothing authentically Mexican about the characters, yet they exist in this world that is supposed to be Mexico. Yeah. But, you know, like a Forrest Gump, get to see everything. Um, form of Mexico. Let, let's shift this conversation just slightly. Um, sure. And I don't want to, again, not wanting to come off as as insensitive here. Um, I think there, 
this is going to sound like a really poor term, but I think there's more <laughs> of a cultural appropriation of video game culture rather than Mexican culture. In this. And, and okay. obviously one of those is more important than the others because who <laughs> fucking cares about video game culture? But, yeah. uh, and like nobody's, nobody's racist to video game people. Like nobody's of a video game nationality, but a lot of the, I think where they have a reverence for a lot of the Mexican stuff, I I don't feel there's a reverence for the video game stuff as much as it is just, hey, let's slap a bunch of video game shit in this game. Uh, like when when I was talking about Alibrije, uh, he has levels that are very much just, hey, that's the the Bowser rush at the at the end of Mario where you know Bowser's chasing you and there's lava underneath you and you need to platform around to to get to uh, hell, at the end of that Alabrije thing of the first temple, there's a big axe uh, over a bridge. And you hit yeah. the axe, and the bridge falls, and he falls like Bowser does, into lava. Yeah. Like, yeah, okay, there's there's the heart, the pieces of heart system that is straight out of Zelda. There are these, uh, they, they have the Chozo statues. Like, literally the Chozo statues, they didn't do anything to those. They're just the same yeah. uh, sitting statues from Metroid. Now, thankfully, thankfully, and like the one bit of restraint this game really employs, uh, they did not call them chorizo statues, which I was so ready for them to call them that. Yeah, that would have been bad. Yeah, they're called chuzo statues, which I guess which is slightly different, but I don't know. There's, There's so much video game stuff here that doesn't feel earned to me as much as it is just... Hey, we played these games, and we know you played these games. So yeah, we like video games. You'll like all the yeah. It's like hello, games? fellow kids, kind of stuff. Where like, yeah. ah, man. Yeah, there's there's a um, there's a boss fight later on where you like you fight this mound of skeletons. Spoiler alert. I guess it doesn't really matter. Yeah. Um, and in the background, it's like a skeleton workshop sort of thing. And in the background, there's uh, a shelf of skulls, and one of them is. The Grim Fandango character, I don't of course, know, is his name just Grim? No, it's a uh, Manny uh, Cala Calabaca Calavera. Oh, okay. See, I've never played that game, but I know that it's an adventure game, and it's not like a Metroidvania at all. And mm-hmm. the only thing that the two really have in common is maybe the developers like that game, and then that he was a skeleton. Well, yeah. That uh-huh. it, it, well, Grim Fandango is absolutely about Mexican culture and, and Day of the Dead stuff as well. Like Manny is. Okay. Yeah. So the, I I could see some some overlap between those okay. themes, but even still, it's totally just a hey, we played yes. Grim Fandango, so let's throw Manny's head in here. Yeah, exactly. That's the, I don't know if there's really. I guess Easter eggs are fun, but I don't, it didn't really do anything for me. Yeah, and and the worst offenders of this are all of the posters posters and billboards in the towns that are just fucking lame oh they, yeah. they were lame they were they, they were kind of lame to begin with when that back in 2013 and playing it in 2017 Whew, oh boy i'm just gonna read off some of these for you there are are posters for super mario brothers there's a mega man that is called uh mega ombre uh, <laughs> there are uh, castle crashers, uh, and I mean some yeah. of them even not for video games. There's Grumpy Cat. There's uh, Pepe the Frog. Which hey, you know, four years later, Pepe the Frog has <laughs> kind of uh, yeah. 
kind of aged differently than maybe you expected. Uh, so feels a little bit weird to say here's uh, like in a Mexican luchador fight poster. It's Grumpy Cat versus Pepe the Frog, except you know slightly slightly different to avoid whatever copyright there, or just to make them more in their own world. I, I forgot exactly how they called Grumpy Cat. Uh, they called him something slightly different or something with that Spanglish in there. Uh, but man, they're just, there's, there's even references to, to Destructoid and Giant Bomb. And I'm like, oh, I, some of that just feels kind of pandery. And yeah. I, it all feels pandery, but even like pandering to, to critical websites like those, it's like, oh, yeah. I don't, I don't like that at all. Ugh. It, it- it does not the I think as we get farther and farther away from 2013 it will continue to seem dated I, this isn't going to look like a document where it's like oh this really really reminds me of 2013 it's not I, I don't think it's that important yeah, um, yeah I, I think even some of the writing like tone uh, is very of that like internet age um, and it's just it's pandering. You're right. Pandering yeah. is the word for it. it. I mean, absolutely, it comes out in the writing. But even even something as as fundamental as the story we talked about, it's it's absolutely a save the princess story. It's absolutely, which is just another takeoff of Mario stuff that that they decided they liked Mario, and we're gonna do that. And in, in fact, after that Ale Brihe fight uh, uh, race uh, where you put him into the lava with the the Bowser uh, axe. It yeah. opens a door, and and that that woman I talked about, uh, Kalaka's girlfriend, is there, and she says that your princess is in another castle. Yeah. She literally says your princess is in another castle. God damn it! Show just a a modicum of restraint, guys. Like this, yeah. ah, it it feels it makes it feel dated immediately uh, because it doesn't feel like an authentic story. It feels like a a story that they just said. Well, we need a reason to do to do a Metroidvania style game. Even again, it gets a Metroidvania style game. It is a game that references both of those genres so hard that even when we're talking about, even our earlier conversation about genre and about how games can be unfairly uh, put into these boxes, Guacamelee wants you to put it into that box. It, it, it absolutely does. It says, here's so much stuff that will remind you of Metroid and of Castlevania and of all these other games that you that you might have played and liked. Please, please put us in that box with these other games. And that's, yeah. that's the one thing I can't really forgive. I, I think that this game does a lot, has a lot of really interesting ideas, especially when it comes to the combat and the, the puzzle platforming stuff. I think yeah. there's there's so much value to those things, and I had such a good time with it, and and I actually really like Mexican culture stuff. I mean, I'm I'm a ultra white guy. You're pretty damn white. <laughs> yeah, no, and I I love it as well. I just think that that's another thing. Restraint is a word that you keep on going back to, and that's something that they did not do when it came to the Mexican culture. Also, they yeah. just took the most identifiable characteristics and they shoved them all in this game and i wish it was a little more authentic in 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 some way maybe (laughs) i don't know how you do that because you these these art styles very vibrant and i want to keep people um entertained but i almost wish they just picked one region and stuck to it yeah they just picked one kind of uh not theme but like 
art. Fucking what am I saying? Like the Dia de los Muertos uh, is a very different um, aesthetic as the Mayan aesthetic. It's right. just like just pick one of those. Don't pick both, sort of thing. I I can understand that for sure. Um, I, I wonder if I feel better about this game because I played it in 2013. And, and that was when I first <laughs> Maybe, experienced yeah. it and had a good time with it. And from, from the conversations that we've been having here and talking about how things haven't aged well in terms of uh, story stuff and, and uh, you know, ref- referential things that, that don't play as well in 2017, I wonder if I actually did, if I would go back and, and play this game to completion again, if I would feel closer to the way you do. And, yeah. uh, and I'm not sure, because I, I, I think a lot of the mechanical stuff is is still really spot on. I know I know you're mentioning issues of uh, you know combat things and being hit and the the shielding and and some of the crowd control stuff being maybe a little too too much. And I don't know if I mind that stuff. That that that's more of that feels more like an authentic thing to Guacamelee. Is this is the way we're going to set up our combat? This is the way we're going to set up our platforming. Uh, these are the mechanical things that we're doing, and and that stuff feels very. Uh, much of itself it, it doesn't feel referential it feels like we we're gonna make stuff that that feels uniquely guacamelee and it's all the periphery stuff that begins to bug me of like oh i all this video game culture bullshit um yeah some of the mexican culture culture um culture smashing together uh, some of those things don't play as well, but I think the act of playing the game itself and and what it has to offer is is really solid from a mechanical standpoint. Yeah, I, there are a lot of things I like about this game, and and I don't know if I can recommend it. I was talking to some people uh, at work. I was telling them what I was playing, and and one of my coworkers was like, "I played that game back when it came out. I think I played like the first three hours of it, and I was like, you're good then.'" Don't, don't play anymore um, because I can't really recommend the second half of it. Uh, but I can say with confidence that now I'm eyeing these other games within the genre that we kind of touched on at the beginning, the Axiom Verge, or even like the classic Super Metroid and Castlevania. Um, now a, I'm going to look at If you want to play Monster Tail, I will mail you my copy of Monster Tail for you to play. I think you need to create that game first because it's clearly a made-up God game. God damn it, Pierce. It's a great game. <laughs> Uh, yeah, maybe even Monster Tail, just like really kind of explore the rest of uh, what the genre has to offer, and and that's something that is very much a positive of this experience. But yeah, not not my favorite game, Chase. Yeah, I I would say it's one of the better games available on Vita, and part of that is that the Vita just is not uh, is not supported all that well, or was never supported all that well, and is absolutely not supported very well now. Uh, yeah, but there. I'm really glad I have uh, the experience of this game. Um, I I think there are there's so many cool things about it. I, I think a lot of the art is just stunning to look at. Uh, you know whether whether there's a question of appropriation or not, the the art itself is is really well made uh, and really vibrant and and cool to look at. Um, and, and like we, I've mentioned about the mechanical stuff that I think still feels good to this day, like playing that hour and a half and throwing enemies and, and bouncing them off each other and, uh, switching between the light and dark worlds and, 
the wall jumping and it I I think that mechanically that thing feels super solid even in 2017. Uh but yeah. I can I can understand uh maybe maybe it not playing uh coming off as well uh in this modern day and age. So I suppose I would tell people with a grain of salt uh that I think this game is worth playing. Uh, even even now, uh, but I think you need to be ready for some things that feel distinctly 2013 about it. You can tell people to listen to this episode of Gamers on the Go for a balanced <laughs> and fair critique of the game, and then they they can uh, come to their own conclusions. Yeah, maybe, or or maybe they've gotten <laughs> enough out of the game just from us talking about it. Maybe yeah. maybe it's not necessary to play. I don't I don't know. I. <laughs> I would like people to play this game. I I think there's something. People should play games. People should play all the games. People should definitely play, play games. I should I should don't. play uh, Mutant Blobs and I should play Severed. Because um, yeah. Drinkbox I think uh, does some does some good stuff and I would like to see see more of their their work, especially with something yeah. like Severed. Because I we we talk about games that that we might not like uh i know uh an early podcast for gamers on the go i did was uh on infinity blade with uh cory motley and i did not like infinity blade at all uh, i didn't like the swiping stuff i didn't like the the level setup i didn't there were, there were so many things about that game that i didn't really like at all and uh severed is is very much that at least in its combat where it's a lot of swiping it's a lot of swiping at the right spots at the right time it's it's maybe it's it's kind of equal parts fruit ninja and and infinity blade in that sense and that stuff immediately turns me off and it's probably why i haven't played it yet uh but i know there are that game goes a lot deeper than just those that that first reference and and maybe that's worth worth trying yeah I'm not writing the entire studio off. Yeah, for sure. certainly not. All right. Well, Pierce, I think that was a, a really good discussion on Guacamelee. Uh, let's uh, let's end this thing here with with a few plugs. Um, is there anything, uh, any place on the internet that that you might want people to find you? Yeah, I I know I was prepared for this question, but I don't really think there's any place because I don't really tweet anymore. I think my Instagram's private. I don't have Facebook or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so even though I none of these views are representative of PAX, um, <laughs> none of, nothing I say here. I'm not here as a PAX person. Right. Um, but I say if you can, get yourself out to a PAX. It's a, a lot of fun. Definitely. I guess I can plug that. I, I saw uh, Guacamelee Super Turbo Championship Edition at PAX East uh, a few years ago. Uh, so it's, There you go. It is Drinkbox Studios, fans of PAX. Everybody's fans of PAX. PAX is great. Uh, yeah well cool yeah uh as as for us over here at gamers on the go at gotg podcast is our our twitter gotg podcast at gmail.com is where you can get in touch with us if you uh have a game that you want to suggest that we uh talk about uh that i talk about or or play or something like that uh gamers on the go.com is is where you go to find all of our episodes and and all of our posts um, I've been slacking on the writing for sure. I, I wanted to do more, more written pieces. Um, but I've been doing other written pieces and slacking off on those other written pieces, uh, for another podcast and website that I, I work on called the casual hour. 
Um, and that's the casualhour.com if you want to go in there. What I'm what I'm doing, I don't know if I mentioned it on the last episode of this podcast, but I'm playing 12 RPGs in 12 months, and I am uh, going to try to write a little essay about each. So I'm calling it the 12 and 12. Um, I actually ended up combining uh, the last two RPGs I played into a single essay, or or I'm about to rather. <laughs> Speaking of slacking <laughs> off, yeah. uh, so I might I might actually play an extra game just to to keep keep going on. But right now I'm playing through Persona Five, and I'm only halfway through, and I've played sixty hours of that game. So. I don't know. I might be running behind on some of these RPGs. RPGs are long, Pierce. Did you know that? They are long. Yeah. One of the reasons why I don't play them. Yeah. I, uh, may, you know, I was doing okay <laughs> when I at the beginning of the year. And uh, now that I'm kind of in the doldrums of the fourth month, uh, I'm learning that, shit, man, maybe, maybe I shouldn't have uh, taken on this responsibility of playing 12 of these massively long games. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> in a in a full year but i don't know we'll see i'm having a good time i've played through games yeah. like chrono trigger and uh suikoden 2 and golden sun dark dawn and uh oh i thought there was another one i played in there oh uh a fall of new vegas um so i've i've been having a good time and persona 5 is is the next one that i'm working on so good stuff all around yeah. Anyway, That's you can awesome. find that you can find that stuff and the the podcast the weekly podcast I do there uh, is is at thecasualhour.com. Uh, so definitely check that out. But Pierce, I want to thank you for coming on. We'll definitely yeah, have man, you back again. Uh, we'll we'll yeah. find. I know that uh, now that you have this Vita and this love of of all things Vita, I I, I just know <laughs> how much you enjoy this. System. I do like Vita a lot. Uh, and you also have a 3ds, right? I, yeah, I like, I like 3ds a lot too. I'm yeah. playing Pushy and Yoshi's Woolly World. Yeah, so uh, so maybe we'll uh, we'll get you back on to talk about one of these other games that you play, uh, and and we'll have a good time then. Sounds good. Cool. Well, thank you all for listening, and thank you, Pier- thank you, Pierce, for coming on, and we'll uh, talk to you real soon. Hey,